Oh, so, gotta hit, gotta hit the old vape. <laughs> Welcome back, vape bros, to the Good Geek Cast. Oh, oh, I have too many ohms on here. I have uh, five hundred ohms. Wait, 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 mess up. You messed me up, Cal. You did the wait, and I thought, I thought that meant stop, and you weren't. Ah, oh, shit. <laughs> I didn't right. realize you were doing a bit, man. I'm did you sorry, stop the recording, bro? You never, you never yeah, stop recording. Okay. Right, never stop ever stop recording anything. Always recording. Uh, all the best stuff happens when we're not recording anyway. All right, let's go right. again. Now, right. now we're ready. One more time. I promise. This time I'll do it right. Okay, I'm going back. Okay. Uh, it'll take it'll take like 40 cuts and I'll be high off the uh, vape by the time we get going. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Oh, so many arms on this vape. <laughs> oh, are, are we on the Twin Geek Cast? I, I was just... Uh, Tending to my vape, trying to become a vape god every day. I feel like I'm more on the Joe Rogan podcast right now. <laughs> Have you investigated the health, uh, the health effects of vaping? Yeah, I feel I feel pretty good. I've I've taken thirty hits the last few minutes. We had to we had to do a few versions of this intro, so now I'm I'm high as a kite on this nicotine vapor. <laughs> <laughs> You make the best cloud. <laughs> I don't know if well, it is a um, audio podcast, so nobody noticed that I was making clouds in the uh, sign of the day Dreamcast. Because uh, today we have Brogan on, uh, who's going to consult us on all the best vaping techniques and how to blow the best clouds. Um, I'm excited to do so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, what's your best technique, Brogan? Um, smoke cigarettes <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and uh, don't smoke things that taste like bubble gum. Uh, mine's a mine's a big grape flavor, uh, grape ape. It says on the package, which means it must be for adults. Can you tell us uh, how it feels differently, like smoking uh, cigarettes versus vaping? Because I can say, as someone who does neither, uh, one is significantly more obnoxious than the other. Which one's more obnoxious first? <laughs> Uh, I would say uh, vaping because it seems that people uh, have used its uh, lack of, you know, uh, intrusion, I guess, you know, in, in terms of like smell and, uh, you know, atmosphere and stuff to just do it wherever they feel like, you know, there was certainly a long time where when they first came out, people were just like, I'm going to vape next to this group full of moms, you know, holding their babies. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, go on. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I, I feel like uh, vaping is probably the more obnoxious one. Certainly. Because all I the mean, smells, nobody can consider it at all. It seems like it's healthier. Uh, Possibly. We don't know. It's less cool looking, that's for sure. Uh, I don't know how yeah, it, I felt like it. It looks, like, a, <laughs> it looks you like you're sucking a big uh, robot dick. Yeah. <laughs> Can't imagine all those like classic I mean, I, films like Bogart like taking a vape then before going in for a kiss. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Like the fedoras, the, the fedoras are just about as cool now as the vapes, so it, it evens out. He likes <laughs> he takes a he takes a hit off his vape. Oh, do you like the the smell of my bubblegum custard? I'm surprised that's not an SNL sketch at this point. Like, how has nobody thought to do that? Right? <laughs> because SNL's not good anymore. True. Yeah. And, yeah. Not relevant anymore. So Regal for the rest of the year. Shout all their theaters dead. R.I.P. It's it was kind of inevitable. Uh, obviously. You know, they, they shouldn't have opened probably in the first place, but since other chains like AMC were, you know, and they were hemorrhaging money, you know, by not being open for so long, it makes sense. But this spells, you know, bad news for them, you know, really in the future. Like, it seems like it could probably go, you know, more than likely will go under. But for a lot of people, that's going to really suck, especially up here in our area, uh, Calvin, because, you know, um, Regal is like the most dominant chain in, in the Northwest yeah. region. It's really hard to find uh an amc if you're not in a you know super populated area most of the you know major towns along the way are, are regal theaters they're not amcs whatsoever there's probably like five along the whole side here look if you want to go to a regal but that but that's your business <laughs> i feel like the only type of theaters i've been around amcs used to exist in like south mm -hmm. florida and stuff mm -hmm. but um Everywhere I go, like especially now in Alabama, it was all Regals or locally owned stuff um, that uh, sold movies two months prior or whatever. Just outdated shit. 
um it's sad um do you guys what do you guys think the future is because i'm expecting to watch the funeral of theater on my uh streaming apps but it'll be a quibby short the other will die in a quibby short yeah. uh I, I think it's not out of the question that That's someone like uh amazon or netflix is going to come along and buy up the whole chain now that uh they've they've taken away the antitrust laws that were established in the you know late 1940s um you know, now, now that that's been dissolved, uh, that opens the door for them to really uh, go nuts and just take a whole monopoly again. Uh, well, here's the thing, though. They, it, it closed off the news that uh, Dune or Dunk is going to be pushed to late next year. And then shortly thereafter, uh, Batman's pushed to 2022. I mean, if you don't have movies, no theater. It makes sense. Yeah, I mean, and, and it's also very possible that this is also just the death knell for theater-going experiences in general. Um you know, I don't, I don't know necessarily how that'll go. Maybe what will happen is that you know, new movies will just like invariably turn towards the small screen and home experience in general. But we'll still have like revival theaters and you know, uh, personally owned ones uh, to continue to show older films and classics. And maybe there'll be a bigger resurgence of that, or maybe they'll still just be kind of like a niche activity. You know, things are changing constantly. Uh, and, you know, the, this is basically, uh, you know, as I've said before, streaming is a is a new medium that is yet to be truly kind of embraced and capitalized on. It's starting to, and you see it in a little bit, but, you know, it's just, it's a very different, and I could definitely see this being, you know, movie theaters as, uh, as an institution could be basically done. They might have to change and adapt to do new business. I mean, they might have to find some kind of deal that makes us want to go. I mean, they, I mean they've, they've encountered it before. That was the whole thing with, with widescreen. Widescreen became popular in Cinerama and stuff to combat TV. You know, mm-hmm. uh, films became more brazen and sexual to, to combat, you know, the prolific uh, wave of television as well. Uh, you know, they tried all sorts of gimmicks uh, throughout the 50s and 60s and such to get people to continue going. But it's been a slow erosion of it. They could keep it. doing that last one. If they did it a little bit more, I'd be more interested. <laughs> <I'm just kidding. laughs> yeah, but if you give me Pex uh, and Dolby, then maybe I'll go. But... <laughs> you know how those specific seats, you know, they, they can shake during certain times or like they can spray water at certain points. This is what I really want in my experience. I was uh, looking forward to vaping in the back of Top Gun later this year, so I'm a little disappointed. Yeah, Top Gun's been pushed off. Do you think that uh, if um, it does, in fact, go this way and like all movies go to streaming, that stuff like like Tom Cruise is going to be out of a job because he's not going to risk his neck, you know, uh, launching himself to the moon for a uh, you know 25 Tom inch Cruise screen? Specifically, <laughs> won't because he has an entire cult centered around giving him things. Yeah. So you mean Scientology? Fine, but other people, I'm not sure about. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was the joke. The Mission Impossible right now, like actively filming, and then it will go to space. So I, I feel like he'll be okay. It'd be kind of cool if he just stayed there. Impossible. If he just stayed in space. Yeah. <laughs> is that the end goal of Scientology? The problem with that is he can't run. Right. Like, that's <laughs> like half of his point is just running, and you can't do that in space. It's impossible. <laughs> good point um speaking of uh underground cults i've watched the vow on hbo max uh f- fuck it's fascinating uh it's about the nexium sex cult in uh albany new york they uh, recruit members and uh it, it seems fine at first like it's about intellectually feeling your feelings and um understanding yourself and finding like a deeper meaning not being a victim all of that um uh, but then it gets real culty beyond just that brainwashing. Uh, they start branding the women like uh, uh, above their pubic region, and um, they they make like a slave master trade with all their members. Um, it, it gets pretty gross. Uh, it completely engrossing series though. Uh, I enjoy it a lot. The um, the director's uh, pretty prominent within like documentary circles. He made a few good ones and. Uh, he was actually within the cult, so uh, it's it's fun to see what kind of content he produced while there. Oh, okay. Well, I, I was going to say, uh, I think it's interesting that, you know, we do have people who have that kind of uh, perspective, uh, personally being involved, like you said, with the director. I think uh, Bro was, was part of that, too. Bro, weren't you involved in this sex cult thing? Nexium? Yeah. 
Or is that a different is that a different sex cult you were in maybe? <laughs> I lose count nowadays. I I can't, I can't keep count. You know, I can count all those. You know, the cults I've been in on two hands. Can you tell us about your and, uh, I can't, your experiences I, I, at Nexium? <laughs> I don't. I don't even know the history of this. I, I just found out it was a New York cult. Is it still going on? Is this still? Well, they're also in Seattle, Vancouver, a few other major cities. They they have markets. I believe now it's transformed into like a multi-level marketing campaign. Um, so there's like there's fragments of it, I believe, but also everyone's in quarter jail right now that was involved. So I'm um, seven episodes in. I don't know if I'm at the ending or near it, but uh, I'm getting there and. It's a fascinating series. Uh, I, I, I will say minor value judgment on cults. This is going to be a hot take, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, I think cults that are built for profitability in the long run are more sustainable than death cults. <laughs> I think this is a crazy take, but you know, I'll just let it How do you get there? That, that doesn't seem accurate. You're, you're telling me death <laughs> cults don't generally have much like longevity? That seems weird. No. <laughs> well, Haley's Comet probably is the exception i think they had it right but other than that, <laughs> look i'm just saying uh, i'm I, just saying with a little bit different direction jonestown could have gone for decades i have a lot of trouble with cult movies i see the good parts and i'm like hmm i i could see where i get into like an executive success program i see the intentionality behind emotions and uh, actually feeling things for what they are and like some of these are good ideas wrapped this, up in some bullshit. This came up when we talked about Wicker Man last year. You were like 100% behind the oh. Somerset people there. You're like, I want to be part of that thing. <laughs> I'm, I'm all about that. Midsummer too, I'd rather join either of these cults where I'm guaranteed death than to be led by uh, Trump. So. Oh, they just, oh goodness. Well. Look, they, they do seem like a little more fun, a little more charismatic. <laughs> yeah, I like all the dancing and the, the summertime festivities. Uh, I'd be open to joining the Midsummer cult. I don't like bees. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> that was for Midsummer. That was for Wicker Man. But, uh, um, I I have no other comments about cults. I guess um, you tapped me out. It's funny. There's just like a whole series since I don't know, like a serial of like these investigative reporting inside um, organizations or uh, serial killers. Um, so I mean, it's all a hot topic, and it feels good to watch it and then kind of not think about it too much i mean i do think i enjoy like the complexities of like the the human experience in the cult i think there's a lot of times especially 20 years ago maybe even 10 years ago or even fuck whenever the sacrament came out um where there's sort of a demonization of the cult because it's like easy to make a bad guy out of Mm -hmm. it um you know, and I think I think that's it's not an ill taste because definitely the leaders of it are, but the people that are in the cult aren't aware of what's going on. You know what I mean? They've got blinders on, and it's sort of hard to get out. I see how it happens, even with like religion. I see how people get trapped into an idea where uh, they're told that everyone else is the other, and they're the ones that matter, and they, you know, they go like they try to they try to spread their message, and then they're met with resistance. They come back to their little cult and then they're met with acceptance. Of course you want to stay. I get that part. That kind of sounds like uh, our little circle of movie friends in a way, a little bit, you know, uh, if we venture out into the world and we hear someone, you know, saying that, uh, you know, Tenet was the best film of 2020, we kind of all shirk back here and, and just reject that entirely. Are we in a cult? I think we're in a cult. <laughs> We might be in a cult. Look, I don't. I don't know. The whole point is that I haven't ventured out of my movie cult circle to go and see it. So I'm, but I refuse to accept the reality that it's anything less than than shit because I'm indoctrinated so deeply here. So that's that's the reality I choose to buy into. <laughs> I got some flavor aid for you. Whenever you're ready to drink it. Anyway. Um, other than COVID not being real, you know what is real? Uh, Possessor. New film by Brandon Cronenberg, David Cronenberg's son. A incredible director. I've seen some of his shorts. I, I just think he's fascinating. And this is, I've said in the review, an identity horror masterpiece. I've, I've never seen, 
identity handled in such a way like a, even his father's films have a lot of fun play with body or identity but this takes it to another uh, future tech level um i i love its uh, paranoid view on technology and how it encompasses all our lives and how we trade identities and how we give corporations so much info that we could be easily replicated that's that's fascinating i know nothing about it but do you do you think i mean david can ask more specific sure. questions do you think he inherited his father's stuff or do you think he's going his own way I think both i think he i think he did it because he's a cronenberg and that's what you expect from the nameplate there but but then he does it in such a fresh way that i feel like it reinvigorated those themes so i wouldn't say it's like derivative of dad or something like a, i feel like he took the mantle and he made something new and now he is like his own master of his work well, it's, it's important to recognize as well that, uh, you know, the mantle was there for the taking for a long period of time. Cronenberg, uh, David Cronenberg, hasn't really done a significant horror film in more than a decade, I think. Uh, he's he's largely moved on to more crime thriller stuff and such. But he obviously defined the, the genre of body horror completely throughout the, uh, you know, the 80s and 90s in particular. Uh, it is kind of criminal that we're talking about his son's film before we've even covered a Cronenberg film on the I don't the think so. Here. I think his son earned it. I think this film is probably better than that Videodrome bullshit. You don't, so. you don't know. You've never seen Videodrome. You can't say that yet. What's going to be the first Cronenberg on the podcast? We did Dead Ringers before. Uh, oh, we did do one. one. I think we, yeah, we did talk about it. Okay, my bad. I thought we hadn't covered it. You know, I... I guess I think of it. Look, Dead Ringers is a little different in terms of like it's less Cronenbergy than like what we think of his films. It's not like super gory like The Fly. It doesn't have like uh, well, you know, it's it's got less of the psychosexual themes, but they're still there. It's definitely a lot more about the identity aspects, like Calvin was touching on in this case uh, with Possessor. But um, you know, I I do want to get to some of the more for the brood. Sure. <laughs> yeah, bring me on for that. Absolutely. Um, um, obviously, that will that brood episode will take place in twenty twenty nine. See you guys later. This that. one has uh, Andrea Risenborough and uh, Christopher Abbott, who are like two generational talents. I think who just can't miss in horror movies and uh, genre pictures. So uh, together, um, well, Andrea Risenborough she takes over his body, so she's in like a virtual reality headset and. She studies people and she takes on assassinations within their body to benefit the good of corporations. So she takes over Christopher Abbott's livelihood, his characters, and um, he she gets to investigate like his workplace, which is crazy. He goes in and he watches video of real people. Like like think if like your Amazon device was like videotaping everything you were doing. Uh, they're selling security cameras next week, by the way. But uh, um, they're, if their video cameras were taping it and they could identify your products in your home so they could sell you different ones and uh, just like a full catalog of what everyone owns so he's like identifying drapes that day um so a lot of dystopian future tech in there a lot of uh, vr headset stuff that looks like a hr geiger creations i i just love the aesthetic of this um it feels gritty and like of the 70s and like a different kind of horror that's not quite made anymore of the body horror sort um, and that body horror stuff is really good here i mean it's visceral it all has impact um i just i love the whole thing it's it's a great movie it's fantastic to hear do you know when we'll be able to see it <laughs> yes <laughs> so, it, so it's in theaters which we don't have uh so maybe in a few months it's a it's a shame. I would really love to add it to my my horror watching list this year. God, I wish, man. I I wish everyone could see this. Like, I haven't been so moved by anything since. Like, I, I'd say first cow, but this is a different kind of fucking excited. Like, first cow, I came out and I'm like, I'm compassionate and I love my fellow man. And this way, in this one, I'm like, fuck yeah, let's take down the corporations and identity <laughs> horror. And who am I really? Uh, it got me thinking philosophically, and I haven't stopped thinking like that. That's the sign of a great movie to me is I spend like three times a day thinking about Possessor and how fucking cool it is. So top recommendation. Damn. Are you, are you going to like 
are you planning on not only the the review on the site but are you going to like in the future do like a write-up where it's like in-depth analysis you should- i really should that would be fucking fun i feel like there's so much to dig into if i just did like a philosophy piece on it or a future tech one i have like three angles i could go here why not i think that sounds like a I great like idea read essays on movies i haven't seen <laughs> just so i could live vicariously through the- oh yeah so just do that of course I'm, I'm um, assuming that's well, what you're... Go ahead. Go on. <laughs> really bad at interrupting each other this episode. Uh, I was, I was asking... couldn't <laughs> land a joke to save his life. <laughs> Just kidding. I'm trying. You know, it's the, it's the effort that counts, I think. This will all be edited. That's, that's the tagline for our podcast. It's the effort that counts. <laughs> it's the effort that counts. It's, it's been a slow week, I guess. Uh, should, I, should I invent some content again? <laughs> I could yeah. space this... So, okay, we're back to festival season again. I've been indulging in Nightstream, completely engorged in my email box are about 200 short films. What's so wonderful about this is we're getting all the festivals combined. So like uh, Boston Underground Film Festival, Overlook Film Festival, uh, Brooklyn Horror, uh, North Bend Film Festival. So uh, all their individual short programs are preserved here. So I get to watch like all my Cinema Vista, Something Strange, and Internal Chaos, all my favorite North Bend programs, which is my favorite part of the year, that festival. I just wish I could see it with our friends. Yeah, I'm still looking forward to the day that we can do a festival together. I know we talked about it like yeah, one more than like a year ago, and then this happens like, well, so much for that. <laughs> we'll get there. Um, we'll absolutely get there. There's a... Uh, there's just so much joy in a festival. That's my main reason for wanting theaters back is uh, that's my favorite experience is the communal movie going experience. Not where you just sit through a movie, but where you stay and you talk about it and then you go into a new movie together. Like that, that whole um, camaraderie of having a whole day together and experiencing cinema for like all its experimental glory is a lot more interesting than like going to like an AMC and just like vaping in the back of Top Gun anyway. <laughs> well, if, uh, if the uh, kind of popular, you know, film going experience does die out with the death of chain movie theaters, then maybe we'll have more of that with, with regular movies as well. You know, like yeah. whatever comes out, you know, uh, you, you have know. to go for like a whole block. That would be great. Hopefully it's, it's like, that's the best movie experiences. I feel like most people don't, don't have like the actual like cinema going experience because they're, shoveling buttery popcorn down their throats while you know a, a family of children run around the aisles uh while watching a transformers movie i almost miss popcorn it feels insane i, I haven't had it since the theater's closed and i i i need like the texture and the feel of the theater and this this sticky sweaty seats bro, bro what's your kind of theaters the ones that like the ones that are like sit down in a diner and you just sit down and you watch your movie as you eat like a real meal and but like the real meal is like twenty dollars more than it should be and you just overpay <laughs> but it's fine who cares you're able to drink a beer and watch your movie it's great it's great it's an experience you know that's that's kind of what it ultimately comes down to uh you know i mean you could like yeah. dissect it and calculate that you could make a dinner at home and watch a movie on amazon or something for like twelve dollars versus the 45 you're spending on this experience but you know it's it's not the same thing and if you're if you feel like you're getting more out of it then you know maybe that price well, is worth it the money is part of the experience yeah <laughs> that's why i go with our friend will to his 500 hundred dollar movie nights and uh, i miss those uh he goes for a 15 course meal and then uh, goes to the theater orders the most expensive snacks then uh, goes for a 15 course meal after that's that's the way Way to live life on the rocks. Maybe your friends really are in a death cult, or at least a non-sustainable <laughs> cult. Uh, they're at least. There's some problems. They're at least non-sustainable. <laughs> um, so I feel like horror movie experiences, especially, have been my favorite cinematic memories. I like. I wonder if either of you could like mine like some of your best like horror experiences by theater. There's. I, I think back to one where I was in Oregon. I'll go first so you have time to come up with one. But uh, I, I was going to see The Village, which, you know, a fine M. Night Shyamalan movie. Um, it, it's fine. The cinematography is great. Roger Deakins is good. Uh, there's, uh, 
then I was going and staying in like a bungalow in Oregon, like just outdoors. Uh, it was completely pitch black after the movie. So like going into the wilderness, thrown out of that movie, uh, into the woods that I never have seen before. That, that's one of my favorite horror experiences. Just it, the movie doesn't matter as much as the experience and the people, I think. Um, I, I can go next. Um, sure. First of all, I think in my childhood, I would I would sneak in my my primary horror experience would be sneak with my sister my older sister obviously sure. and we would watch uh, two early two thousands era horror films which in case you know your horror history is sort of like a not a scary time more of a gross time mm-hmm. it's much more torture porny yeah um, are we I looking at like Hostel and what, yeah, what, yeah, yeah, I saw Hostel in theaters when I was like fucking like nine. Yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> wow. <laughs> I wonder if it's reflected at all in my adult self. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but but that's still formative, and I definitely enjoyed the sort of like forbidden aspect of it. Like that was always really cool. It's, it felt like a bonding experience with me. And my that's family. amazing. Um, and uh, and then I guess as I got older, um. I think one of the last horror experiences I explicitly had fun in was, I wouldn't, I guess I wouldn't qualify Mandy as a horror thing. Um, I guess I could tie it in with Evil Dead because the Evil Dead remake uh, I can talk about later, but I actually liked the remake. Um, and uh, that was a really fun experience to watch in theaters because I think everybody watching it was on the same page. I have a, a number I guess I could pick from, I think a lot of which were last year because I really increased a lot of my movie watching last year of, of different things. Uh, one of the first experiences was this time last year, I went and saw uh, a movie on my own a couple of times in, in October. I saw the, the Uninvited by Myself, which was fun. It was an older uh, Hollywood horror film. It was just kind of a nice like rainy day experience going out to the theater. I think the one that left the bigger impression was uh, seeing the Phantom of the Opera, the the Lon Chaney film with a live organ accompaniment. And now I don't want to watch the film any other way because it would feel wrong not to have seen it. In, in, yeah. <laughs> uh, but I guess what was also really great was seeing The Lighthouse because it was with a group of friends. Uh, and then afterwards, we just went across the street to a bar and was kind of like, what the hell happened there? Like, like just trying to sit and deconstruct it and figure it out because it was so, you know, it, it was dense in a lot of ways and it was a really uh, fantastic and enjoyable experience. And again, it had that very kind of like communal feeling and everyone kind of gathering. It was also like everyone's most anticipated film of the year and uh, really paid off. No, I, I bring this all up because like when I was eight or nine, I was just like walking through a blockbuster, looking through the shelves and I, I had no idea what the evil dead was, but to pick that up on VHS and to have the cashier so excited telling me it would change my life and not knowing why or, or what it could be, you know, going home and watching it. It's like a grainy VHS has been used a million times, right? Like the quality's deteriorated. It's just scratchy on the screen and uh, something about that really lo-fi experience with such a lo-fi horror really cemented Evil Dead like in my mind is like okay maybe this is one of my first authentic horror experiences like I I had seen by eight years old I had already seen like all the leprechauns at the time leprechaun back to the hood leprechaun space uh, so I was well acquainted with horror but not not quite like the horror that would change my life and really like impact me so I think that this is genuinely what made me a horror fan it's still pretty silly that your your like first experience with horror was the Leprechaun series. I don't think anyone would predict that or even like suggest that to, to anyone as being kind of an introduction to horror. That doesn't seem logical in any way. Where's me gold? I, I, I've been obsessed with Leprechaun for a long time. I, he's funny. Uh, it's comedy. Um, for <laughs> Evil Dead for me... First of all, I, I definitely think like a VHS might be the most ideal way to watch the movie. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it, you know, it's it's one of those things where it is um, it is magical in the sense that you know, in normal logic, um, a film with such poor production value and such poor like objective elements shouldn't work, but you can just tell as you watch it. How, 
how how great it is just from the sheer talent of the people making it by people i mainly mean sam raimi but there's there's others as well um, yeah you can see just the raw talent in that and then you can just overlook yeah the uh the sort of difficulties that you come across as you watch the film you know, I, I would argue, actually, that it's to a point now where all of those, like, obvious flaws and, you know, glaring issues in terms of, like, uh, performance and poor production qualities and amateur, you know, filmmaking still, like, you know, the, the general greenness of the production uh, has morphed into the identity of the film itself. They're, in, they're inseparable. They're as much a part of its allure as the, the, the lo-fi setting, the stylistic approaches to, you know, cinematography and atmosphere, the, the gory effects and, you know, uh, everything there. Like, they all work together, not separately, particularly in terms of, like, uh, the, you know, the shoddiness of, like, the acting and, you know, the... <laughs> the quality of the the, the film itself um it's it, it adds to a, a grounded sense of it like uh to me watching it feels more real because it is because it is just a group of friends going out into the woods of tennessee in his creaky old cabin that's falling apart at the seams you know that's actually what's it happening genuinely it genuinely feels like you're joining a group of college friends that you've known your whole life to go make a horror movie like it's genuinely what they're doing right like i mean they're they're obviously such good friends and they're having so much fun creating um well if they don't follow the rules they create new ones like with the camera and it's like uh these guys are going to the woods to experiment and it's fucking fun to join them if it were more polished and more professional, I don't think the horror would be as effective because it wouldn't be no. grounded. Like it would, it would look <laughs> it wouldn't be funny. Like a, it would look so, like a movie, you know. Yeah. Which is, uh, you know, p- part of his lore is that it feels less like a movie and more like a production. Yeah, fuck movies. <laughs> I also, I, yeah, I like like the gore and how um, how it looks. So it looks gritty. I mean, I like something that looks kind of antiseptic, and it looks like you're just like going. Uh, you're going to get an infection just from looking at it. I like something that looks like that. The, yeah, the film um, is definitely <laughs> go ahead. Uh, yeah, I'll I'll, uh, I'll go. Um, I, I definitely like some of the sort of what I really enjoyed watching it this time was sort of how how it was paced. It was paced in a very manic sense, but there was always a time to breathe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's sort of like a over like whenever the whenever the terror quote unquote would happen, um, I you would feel it and it would be overbearing. It would just be like senses from everywhere. The camera would always be in an interesting spot, even in the dead zones. But like the dead zones felt so appreciated every time and so earned because you didn't know what was going to happen next, and that le- le- lends into the lo-fi nature of it. It was just like anything can happen even in the story you're like uh, I, there's no pre-established rules you don't really necessarily know how anything works you're just like on the ride and yeah. you're just with them you know it really is like one of the the greatest assets to the film is this absolute freedom that the production has and no ties to convention or you know rooted in anything you know established or anything like that even just the premise of these demon ghost spirit things which were later dubbed you know deadites uh you know they they're just such a conglomeration of so many elements that they literally can and do anything that you know the you know sam raimi really wants them to do they can be anything or manifest in any way uh and it does give it this unpredictable nature and and, and in the same way the lack of restriction or you know uh rule imposed on the production you know give gave them the freedom to do anything they wanted in terms of telling the story and particularly like calvin already pointed out in the cinematography they just tried any and everything and it gives it this really great expressionistic look you know it, it reminded me a lot looking back at like early foundational horror films like in the 1920s you know where they do all these creative angles tons of duches there's there's some really interesting shots like where when it starts upside down and there's the one where it pans over like uh bruce campbell's head and refocuses it to be like right up in a, in a close-up there and there are these really effective shots that feel unnerving i think they feel because it gives it more of this uh spectoral perspective you know of course established just in that opening shot the famous 
thing where they they strapped the camera to a wooden board and just you know had two people running around the woods yeah. tilting it in multiple directions <laughs> so effective for such simple techniques and yeah. i i think it, i think what's so great about evil dead is that it catches you right away like the the conversation in the car and those shots of the car coming up the mountain but then you get to like the creaking of like the swing and uh, the conversation is so good too like that if the early writing weren't so good, I don't know if everyone would have been hooked right away. Like there's, there's hundreds of cabin in the woods movies. And uh, this is one of the only ones with a fan base. Well, this I mean, is like the, the, the cabin in the woods movie, you know, it's right. the dedicated one. one. In the woods, well, yeah. that one is, that wasn't as entirely, you know, like it exists because of evil dead. It's, it's a course. huge homage to that. I'm pretty sure that the cabin in that film is a replication of, of the one in the film here. I believe so. Yeah. Well, and and it really established itself as you know like a defining film of uh, the genre and the independent filmmaking movement you know in general. Uh, it was an unexpected success story for for a variety of reasons, and of course like garnered that major cult following, uh, which still exists. Like it's it's probably one of the strongest cult followings of any film. Uh, I, I believe you watched a documentary on it this year, didn't you, Calvin? Hail to the Deadites, which was a, a, not a very thoughtful examination, but it was an examination of the fan base. I mean, I wish it gave me a new value, but I'm already a fan. I, I mean, I've been here uh, since the early 90s. I, I know what this is, you know? Mm -hmm. um, how do you feel? Um, I guess I just, I, I guess I want to still talk specifics. Um, how, how, like, what, what, what moments specifically do you take away from it and you go, wow, um, I think obviously we can talk about one scene in particular as like a uh, sort of yikes moment, but we can save yeah. that for in a little bit. But I, what I personally liked this time was how Linda, her, uh, his girlfriend was done. Mm -hmm. um, I, 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 this time it really worked for me um, for a Ashley's character. Um, I think, I think Bruce Campbell in acting here it's it's amateur but it's fine i would not change anything about bruce campbell except maybe his hair um i think his hair is bothering me um, unexpected but, but, unexpected takes i think his performance but, is but, uh, obviously the, the best one of the film cheryl was just like it, it it was a proper realistic kind of sympathy that you would draw from it it was probably set up with the locket and um also the it her deadite was very specifically designed differently than the other deadites. Every deadite sort of has a different visual distinct style. They sort of start to blend together near the end um, as they get more and more disfigured. But for the most part, like hers especially looks like a doll almost. She's yeah. caked in makeup and she's giggling like a little girl the entire time. And it's very unnerving. They had a, I, I loved that performance. They had a very clear vision with her. Her physicality really adds to that as well. Again, like the constant cackling is this great touch that, that gives her this manic, uh, you know, characterization. And it really helps uh, carve her out again, you know, as that great way that they really had carte blanche to do anything with these uh demon characters you know that they you know any way they wanted to manifest them they could and taking a creative choice like that really helps set them apart and create this more distinct idea of what they're capable of and what they do and you're right it did give uh, a, a particular angle especially some of the most effective moments they had are like there's the scene with with cheryl in the basement and her voice completely returns to normal as she's like I'm okay now and stuff and it's this manipulation by them that adds another dimension to their evil uh I, I guess one of the things I, th I think one of the interesting things you brought up is that the locket bit uh which she presents uh <laughs> it's probably one of my only issues with the film because uh it, it looks like a piece of dollar store jewelry and it's a bit <laughs> contrived for the the climax oh, now of the you film complain about production value <laughs> It's just, it's it's one of the more ones I was like, really, like, a, a magnifying glass necklace that looks like it's made out of plastic. That's the big present here. And again, like, it, it had to be a magnifying glass because you needed to use it to ignite the book for some reason. But he just throws it in the fire at the end anyway. <laughs> it's it's a little too much. That, 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 like, one thing is, like, one of the only things I, I take issue with. And it's just, it's a little too ridiculous for me to buy into but otherwise you know it's it all works cohesively for me <laughs> this movie ridiculous <laughs> <laughs> uh 
What, what about Calvin? Uh, yeah. What what specifics did you like? Well, I think just the specifics. I mean, I don't know if it's like a specific thing, but the whole atmosphere of it, the yeah. the feeling of the cabin, I guess. Um, well, the setting, I think, is probably what you mean, and then like how he establishes it. I, yeah, I get you. I feel like what David's saying too that when they when they have a choice that seems difficult in an independent film. I feel like you could make a couple decisions there. And I feel like every time they go with the creative choice, I, I, I look at like, I could compartmentalize each part of it. And, uh, every portion of the film, they they often take the creative route out of their problems. Um, I mean, when you have such a small budget, it's so easy to cut a corner, but they do the opposite. I mean, they, they, they define a new corner instead. It's it beautiful. Was, for me, it was really the cinematography that stuck out this time because it was so fluid and uninhibited and they were just willing to try and do anything they bucked convention like completely you know they would do really weird things with the the camera and try any and everything and whatever they found that worked did and it really added to the the chaotic and unpredictable atmosphere of the film and again the, the camera takes on the, the personality of the demons in the film at, at various mm -hmm. points, not even just when they're specifically doing the signature, like that I vision, like roaming through the woods. It really is like throughout and inside the cabin as they do these crazy whip pans and they, these crash zooms, you know, or they, as they pan it. And, and it's really, it's, it's all very well orchestrated. Like, you know, there are points where you could, would think they might, not get the focus of the shot right or the framing would be off as they kind of you know radically move around the cabin but it's all surprisingly precise and you know it hits the marks really uh perfectly throughout and so you can tell it's not just like luck or unbridled ambition you know it really is skill that went into this film you know and then the creative intuition like now, after having seen all of Raimi's other great works like Spider-Man 3, I could go back and, and look at this, the, how, how he started. I think it couldn't have gone any other way. Like if it had a big budget, I don't know if Raimi would have taken off. I think so much of the charm is just like, a, well, I'm a cabin person anyway. My favorite thing to do is to go out to cabins in the woods. I mean, that's where I really live part of my life that's significant to me. So I, these kind of horrors is always something I'm looking for. It, and it found me like just at the right time. Um, I feel like I don't find movies, but they find me. Mm -hmm. uh, bro, you, you brought up a, a good scene now that we've talked about the good ones. I guess we should talk about the, the contentious part of the film. <laughs> Is it where the tree rapes a woman? What? <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, it, uh, I would definitely did say... You, did you see a different version than I did? Can I see whatever <laughs> version you saw instead? I just mean, you thought that was contentious? No, no, of course. You know, it's it's interesting because even uh, Sam Raimi has said in recent years that he regrets that scene, you know, that he would take it out now if he, he could. Uh, I'm glad that he hasn't, like, gone back and, like, deleted it from future versions because, you know, it's a important piece of the film, even just from a historical standpoint. But uh, I do wonder, like, how, how do you guys feel about the scene in the context of the movie? Does it perturb you at all uh, in, a, in a bad way, I should say? <laughs> Uh, Calvin, you can go first. <laughs> I, I guess I wish I did. I, I I don't feel any certain way about it, but I, I've seen a lot of shit in movies. I, I feel right. pretty much like I'm... I I mean, I have shields up around anything with horror, but I I take horror a different way than most movies. If it were just a, like Spider-Man 3 and suddenly Mary Jane gets raped by a tree, I'd be like, what the <laughs> fuck, Raimi? But uh, Evil Dead, I, I, you know, I don't want to excuse it. It's It's unnecessary, but doesn't bother me that much um i mean i think conceptually i think the important thing it did um was sort of establish it, it was the setting versus the the teenagers um later on scott goes like the trees know we're trying to escape um and i think like for instance if you just completely got rid of all of that scene you will never get a hint that like the trees are actually like a thing maybe the camera may tip off but like you know you'd be blatantly aware with that scene um is it gratuitous yes i think i think maybe i in retrospect you could probably go to the editing room maybe, touch it maybe up imply it right like maybe imply that the tree did something to her and she comes back in all yeah ragged yeah and... I, I i think it's probably just too much but like i'm not opposed to like 
I'm not opposed to it as a horrific thing because it's not like it's praising their yeah. action. It is horrific. If it, it just feels like it's dwelling on it too much to the point where it's like, where, where it feels indulgent in a bad way. So yeah, I, I think ultimately I would just take it to the editing room and chop it up. There's, there's probably a couple shots like the, the straight up, like, you know, push to, for, for penetration branch that you could probably chop out and it would seem less uh, grotesque. Totally. And, uh, yeah. But generally, uh, you know, watching the scene, I think overall the most important thing is that I find it to be effective at what it's aiming to do. Uh, you know, rape exploitation is not, you know, like a new thing within the genre with this film. You know, it was very popular to do throughout like the 70s and such. There are much worse films to, you know, lambast for their depictions yes. of it. <laughs> uh, and I think the reason that Evil Dead gets such a rap about it, if it does, you know, is because it's one of the more popular and, you know, uh, mainstream successes of the, that has that kind of scene within it. Um you know, generally, uh, it, I find it to be effective at setting the tone and more specifically making it a, a personal and horrific, you know, act upon these these teenagers, you know, and it really sets the tone for what's to come. Um, uh, I, I think probably more than anything, like uh, the conversation now surrounding it is less of, you know, can, you know, like talking about whether it should or not be or people who are talking about, hey, uh, why is this such a problem? <laughs> like people like us all are like, yeah, it's not really a problem. Maybe it's gratuitous, but you know, it has its function within the story. Uh, well, I mean, I would say it's a problem, but it would be a discussion on necessarily what it is. It's also, um, like, I think, I think there's yeah. a time and place for it or like it, there, it, it can suit this story. It's also not my place to say whether or not it's, you know, too much for the depiction of, you know, a, a rape of a woman on screen uh i think my you know uh opinion on that is is not as weighted as other people's so you know who's to say you know what the consensus is culturally on whether it's still acceptable or not i don't if it was really that much of a big deal though i don't think people would still be talking about evil dead obviously it's it's like a blip on the radar of the film overall absolutely i i don't have i I've, I've never had a strong reaction to it, but I completely understand why people would. Um, so. If people are super adamant about it, this would be a scenario where I, I personally think like a, a good edit or a good cut of it, I think you could have two separate cuts that would both be genuinely suitable for, for either audience. And I would understand either preference, to be mm -hmm. honest. You know what I mean? But uh, that, that's just me. Um, let me ask and shift the uh topic away from this um how do you feel about this in relation to Raimi's other films and the evil dead franchise in general i've been most worried about this part because i know david and i strongly disagree <laughs> about it do we well maybe it can fill another 10 minutes <laughs> i didn't realize we had such strong opinions one way or the other in terms of sam Raimi's films don't we are you saying yeah. Uh, so what it is, is that uh, Calvin is a huge fan of uh, his Wizard of Oz movie. And uh, he doesn't like me bringing up that uh, it's actually not good at all. Wait, what are you talking about? The the great and powerful Oz. You've talked before about how, how fantastic it is and how it's the best film Sam Raimi ever made. Ev, you're thinking <laughs> of someone else, I think. Uh, I, I don't know where you're going with this. Well, well, what is it then? Of me. The Great and Powerful Oz is the best movie ever. I think that would work if I knew what that was. I'm sorry. <laughs> that one went <laughs> right over my head. Wizard of Oz movie. It, That's it's it. okay. That, that was it, the joke. it went over most people's heads too. It's a big flop in okay, 2013 <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> also a flop in 2020, that joke. I'm sorry. Um, um, but more like, you know, the, the Evil Dead movies. Uh, you, I guess you could talk about Darkman. You could talk about the Spider-Man stuff. You could talk about look, Drag Me to Hell, which I would personally yeah, want to talk about. I, look, I love look, Drag Me to Hell. I just, I just want to say, bro, I've tried to pitch Darkman for the podcast many times before <laughs> and specifically wanting you to come on because I think it's a fantastic film and really that great precursor to his, his uh, comic book films with the, the Spider-Man movies. Uh, and I think it really showed that. And it, and it embraces his style you know in whole uh i love dark man and and you know i think it's uh like a great fusion of a gothic you know horror and superhero elements that's you know probably the the best of its kind so we're skirting I around agree, it and we should have a dark man <laughs> podcast why is this not happening 
Um, yeah. Maybe in a few months here, we'll uh, reconvene for Darkman. Uh, give our directors some space <laughs> to breathe. Uh, Either way, Drag Me to Hell is probably my second favorite. No, third favorite. Yeah. Raimi horror. I don't like Army of Darkness like at all. I'm almost. fine with it. I, I feel like it's okay. I, I'm not as strong as on the first two, which are almost even, but but my I guess my contentious thing is I think this is the best of his work by far. Yeah, I I don't think I would agree with that necessarily. But I see why, <laughs> because it has it's it's his I think the most like defined film of his style, yeah. which is weird to kind of say because obviously he, you know, kind of capitalized on specific things more and more later. But this is like the the hallmark of him for sure. Uh, but generally, I, I do like Evil Dead 2 more from like an entertaining and like boost in production value perspective. I feel like the zaniness of it. Is I just don't just... want that, I think. like a, Oh, I, yeah, I, I know. Agree. Like you, you have a very specific aim with with horror films. And so <laughs> the blend, true. the blend with comedy, particularly the Three Stooges kind here is is probably less outwardly appealing, even if you do recognize that it's like the best at doing that uh you know if evil dead just fills oh, yeah. that that spot for you more personally then yeah of course i i know plenty of other people who feel the same certainly and and that's always kind of the debate with the films like because there's you know big factions of love for all three i would argue army of darkness less uh than the others but uh i i also love that one too i love its you know kind of adventurous spirit it's you know totally different direction to take the series uh you know the i great, like it more than bro in fact yeah the the, the great harryhausen homage to it kind of throughout you know it's very indebted to to those stop motion films uh specifically uh, and also, of course, you know, Raimi's, you know, career with the kind of defining the superhero genre in the early 2000s with the first two Spider-Man movies. When he created so superheroes, right. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, he invented superheroes with Spider-Man 2, which was amazing of him. <laughs> but uh, yeah, generally, um, I think his his output has been good. Uh, we miss him in a directorial sense, but, you know, he I know he's coming back. What's he doing now? He's, he's signed up to do the next Doctor Strange movie. Oh really? Oh yeah, yeah that's right. Is that, yeah, is that still a thing? Because Scott Derrickson dropped out, and so uh, I'm guessing that's still a thing. But who knows where where yeah, things I, end up? I would <laughs> bet it's still a thing. Yeah, I, I would bet it's still. A it's thing. moved to 2022, so we'll see it in a couple of years. Yeah, on Quibi. <laughs> um, I was I was gonna say, uh, fuck. Um, do I think Evil Dead One is Raimi's best film? No. No, the way that's worded means no. Um, do I do I think this movie is special in a way that the others aren't? Yes. Um, that's how I would say that. Like that's fair. I think I think I could totally see someone having it be a favorite, but I think I think calling this his best is disingenuous to the the creative choices he would make later on in his career or his uh, other routes he decided to pursue. Um, and for Army of Darkness, I do like it, especially the prop stuff. Mm -hmm. I think the prop stuff throughout all of these movies is amazing work. Um, that being said, I, the thing I didn't like about Army of Darkness was just, um, if, it felt like production value in a bad sense, where it felt like Xeno the Warrior Princess, funny enough, because he... I was, I was going to say, uh, maybe there's like a connection. On a movie's scale. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, there's a connection there, I'm for sure. But it, it feels lacking in a in a way that I, I can't enjoy. It's also it's also the most Bruce Campbelly of the films. You know, he really sure. defined his, his character at that point. Uh, which I guess also feeds into, did, did you guys watch the television series at all when it was on Stars? I watched uh, some of the first season. I I got about halfway through the first. I'd like to see it. I don't know where to watch it, though. I, I watched the first two seasons, and I never saw the third season. How is it? Is it is it well-regarded, like, think, next to the so. series? Or is it, like, is it, like, one of those things where I, your favorite show's coming back, and it's it's still good, but it's not like Twin Peaks or Term, where it's like, oh, shit, it's better. Well, I mean, that's that's obviously it's, like an um, outlier in not, terms of that. Bit... <laughs> right, because uh, most most yeah, TV it's, shows it's, coming back from like movie franchises are so cynical. I, like, I would is say it it's cynical, or is it like real? It's, like... it's not cynical. I don't think it's a lot of fun. Uh, is the okay. thing, and it's and it's definitely more I, kind of the. I, Go ahead. <laughs> the, I would recommend it. I, yeah. I would say that. Is it is it going to be the? 
coming of Christ. No, I think it's probably on the whole more enjoyable than Army of Darkness. I okay. think it, it sort of meters out how insufferable Ash became <laughs> as a character with an extended supporting cast that became enjoyable and then offered creative elements for different episodes. Now, obviously, it's inconsistent. You know, sometimes a good episode's a good episode, and sometimes a bad episode's a really bad episode. But on the most part, like it, it is a worthwhile experience for any Evil Dead fan. I, I certainly agree with that. It feels like it it fits in with the progression of the series there, um, you know, and it and it feels uh, like a good modern take as well. Um, it's it's a lot of fun. It definitely plays into all of the the tropes of the Evil Dead series. Uh, kind of landing, I think, somewhere stylistically between two and Army of Darkness. Um, you know, it definitely goes back to that more horror. You know, kind of like. Uh, demonish, you know, Cabin in the Woodsy more stuff, uh, but, you know, kind of keeps up with the zaniness of Ash in, you know, uh, Army of Darkness. Uh, but uh, th- I agree with Bro that the strongest aspect they brought is a really great supporting cast. Those those additional characters they added to the story make it something actually worthwhile instead of just Bruce Campbell kind of, you know, running around saying zany shit, you know, uh, every episode and whatever, and occasionally revving up his chainsaw hand. It's what you want, I think. Ah, I think it's good. I, I highly recommend it for anyone who is uh, invested in in the series. Uh, but obviously, again, the, these are all very different from the first film. Uh, and and I see where Calvin's coming from. Certainly, I, I agree with the notion that Evil Dead is the best film of of what it aims to be of its kind. I think in that way. But I, I would not say yeah. it's the best of Raimi's career because he obviously became a more thorough and polished director as he yeah clearly he went on. clearly it's uh, objective the least polished but in a way that i get the most out of right it, I as i said in the in the very beginning that's very much become part of the film's character and appeal and and so you know it's inseparable from that but you know it i don't think anyone could say that this is the best made film that yeah. that sam raimi ever did no not with the the powerful oz of the dead <laughs> Uh, bro, you want to get back to the remake? I, I think the remake's fine. Uh, not not nearly as good, but I I, I think they did. I don't think you can be no. nearly as good. Um, I I don't think that was possible. But um, I think it showcased uh, it showcased a lot of stuff. I I, I enjoy. Um, I guess the right way to say it was it was a proper horror theater experience, which I hadn't experienced in a long time before that. Um, it was fun, but it was also scary when it needed to be. And it, it, the thing I liked about it was it did try to blend uh, the first two together um, instead of just being purely one. And it also did enough twists. Um, I think one of the improvements it did, for instance, was uh, they're not named Ash and, Sher- uh, Ash and Cheryl in the remake but there's a brother and sister relationship in the remake that is uh very reminiscent and they improved uh the the female sister character uh they gave her more to do they gave her a more heroic role but also a more tragic backstory that sort of like propelled her more whereas cheryl and this it's one of the reasons why the tree scene doesn't work for me very well is because she is probably one of the more underwritten mm-hmm. characters certainly that well, she also she gets got earlier in the film, of course, and she then she spends the entire time in the cellar. Was there a tree scene in the new one? There wasn't, was there? There, there was. Um, I, I don't remember. I haven't seen the film in a long time. There is a scene where the the woods take. Yeah, her. yeah. Okay. Um, but I'm not sure how graphic it gets. Let's put it like that. I still, I, I, I guess before we head off here, this is still the the best moment to once again plug my favorable experience watching Evil Dead the musical when it comes around every year, and I would still love to take Calvin to that. Uh, you gotta go. I'm, I gotta I'm, I'm, see it. It was. <laughs> it's very funny. It's it's hilarious and s- such a blast and, and uh, thoroughly like audience engaging, entertaining experience. Uh, and I think true to the spirit of. The series as well, of course, the more comic ambitions as it went along. Um, and, and I just, I think about it all the time, of course, and it's, it's an inseparable experience for me from the series on whole. And of course, it takes so much from this first film and the second film in particular, and even a little bit from the third film. Well, uh, thank you so much, bro, for joining us. Uh, I'm going to go load up the vape for some, some <laughs> master's 
sessions in the back room. I'm gonna go to a cabin with uh, three of my friends, and uh, we're just gonna stay the weekend. Okay. Um, I think there's a hurricane coming. I'm not too worried about it. Um, I'll see you guys Avoid later. Avoid the trees. Thanks so much. Don't ever laugh as a hearse goes by, for you may be the next to die. They wrap you up in bloody sheets to drop you six feet underneath. They put you in a pine wood box and cover you up with dirt and rocks. It all goes well for about a week, and then your coffin begins to leak in the crawl in, the worms crawl out, the worms play pinochle on your snout, they eat your eyes, they eat your nose, as you begin to decompose.